When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. Well, of hockey on 6.30 Chad, two weeks from tonight, it's going to be an exhibition game between the Edmonton Oilers and the Calgary Flames at Rogers Place. It'll start at 8.30 p.m. We will have all the Oilers games for you on 6.30 Chet. Qualifying round starts Saturday, August 1st. We know the start time for Game 1. It'll be 1 p.m., so a matinee to get the puck drop for the Oilers and the Blackhawks. August 3rd is a Monday. August 5th is a Wednesday. Those games will both start at 8.30 in the evening, and Games 4 and 5, if necessary, on the 7th and 8th of August, start times to be determined as they play through the qualifying round. But we do have the details on the exhibition game, and we have the start times, 1 p.m. on August 1st, 8.30 p.m. on both August 3rd and August 5th, Edmonton against Chicago. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins. It's Inside Sports on Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630. Chad, you are welcome to participate in the program by calling or texting 780-496-0063. A lot to discuss tonight, and we'll start with the guy who was the star player for the Oilers this season, their leading scorer, Leon Dreisaitl, who is a nominee for the Ted Lindsay Award. That was swallowed up by Ellis. Bear followed up. Dreisaitl off to McDavid. Back to Dreisaitl. One-timer. Score! Squeezed it by Pecorine with 29 seconds to go in the period. And Dreisaitl stays hot. Rene up the left-hand side. We told you he hasn't been sharp. It's down low. A dish. Dreisaitl tucks it over from Yamamoto. Giveaway by the Preds. And Edmonton regains a two-goal lead. 5-3. And Dreisaitl has scored twice against Nashville. Off the draw. Oilers up 6-3. Nugent Hopkins. Dreisaitl shoots and scores. Hat-trick. Leon Dreisaitl. The third of his career. And Edmonton is running Nashville and Pecorine right out of the building. And Martin Jones, we talked about earlier. Here's McDavid, right corner, in front. Rich shot, score! That's four for Leon Dreisaitl. Eight, three, Edmonton. Five goals in five minutes and 13 seconds. The blowout continues in Music City. Yeah, big night in Nashville for Leon Dreisaitl. Four of his 43 goals on the season in that game. Finished with 43 goals and 110 points. And no doubt about it, he's up for the Ted Lindsay Award. This is the most outstanding player in the league as voted on by members of the NHL Players Association. The other two guys who are finalists, pretty good years themselves, Nathan McKinnon of the Colorado Avalanche and Artemi Panarin of the New York Rangers. I, I don't think there was any doubt that, that Dreisaitl was going to get into the final three. Uh, I know Bob Stoffer was debating yesterday on his show, Oilers Now from noon to two on 6.30 Chet, and asking me about it if, if Connor McDavid might make it two out of three Oilers as finalists for the Lindsay. I, I didn't necessarily think so, not often that 
you get two players from the same team as finalists and dry sidle just a spectacular year for the Oilers he's a player that we've we've really seen grow he came into the NHL there were some questions about his skating I, I don't think anybody really questions that anymore he uh, played half a season with the Oilers didn't have a very high point total seemed to be improving but then uh, he went back to junior, got traded, went to the Memorial Cup, the lost in overtime in the championship game, was named MVP of the tournament, came back to the Oilers, and then uh, away he went. I, I guess he started the next year briefly in the minors, got called up, had a pretty good connection with Taylor Hall early on, and then the Oilers moved to Rogers Place. He, McDavid, and Maroon were one of the best lines in the NHL in 16-17 when the Oilers broke that 10-year playoff drought. And then as we've seen Dreisaitl continue to evolve, we've seen how productive he can be even away from Connor McDavid. And that was certainly the case in the second half of the season, really starting January 1st, where he was centering the line with Kyler Yamamoto and Ryan Nugent Hopkins, and that line was highly productive. Yamamoto called up from the minors, and what a burst for him, 26 points in 27 games, and Dreisaitl pulled away in the NHL scoring race. Of course, McDavid was injured for a batch of games during that time, but the Oilers still kept doing pretty well with uh, Dreisaitl driving the bus. One thing about Dreisaitl that that we've seen, and Rob Brown and I talk about this on Overtime Open Line quite a bit, and it's something Rob really appreciates because he played with players who had this ability. Uh, you know, he played with with Mario Lemieux, though he often cites Yarmir Yager as having this skill, perhaps even more than Lemieux, and that is how Dreisaitl invites contact, and, and it's almost like Dreisaitl is is standing there down low with the puck. He might position himself with his back to the net. Maybe he's in the corner. And he doesn't really initiate the play until he has a defender on him. And we've seen how sometimes he'll throw his hips back into a checker or he'll throw his shoulders back into a checker or take one hand on the stick and kind of try to shove a guy off, ward him off with his left hand while he's controlling the puck with his right hand on his stick. And that really is a, a strength of dry sidle. And sometimes he can draw two checkers to him because he's so strong on the puck. And as Rob has often talked about, the great players want to be double teamed because they think, great, take care of me. I can find the open guy. He said that's what Yager would say, that Yager said would say to teammates like Rob Brown, if if a defender comes to help the defender that's already on me, don't worry about it. You don't have to come to me for a short pass. Just make yourself available and I'll find you. If there's two guys on me, somebody's going to get open, and I'm skilled enough to find you. And I think we've seen that with Dreisaitl. I asked Dave Tippett today, after the Oilers skated at, at the downtown community arena, they did the Zoom conference call with a couple of players and with Coach Tippett, and I said, does Dreisaitl, does that ability to protect the puck and want that contact, does that remind you of any player, past or present? Well, there's there's certainly some players in the past. Like I think of a guy like Peter Forsberg, who used to invite that contact and protect the puck, make it hard for the opponent to check him while he's kind of on his back. And Leon does that a lot. Leon is a power forward with high, high skill. He plays a strong, heavy game and heavy when he has the puck. Uh, the, the biggest thing about Leon this year is, from a coaching a- a aspect, he is great skill, Great knowledge of the game, can play all situations. So he ends up having an impact on your team. And he helps players around him that he's playing with. And uh, he's obviously an outstanding player in his own right. So um, 
puts him in that category. And uh, I think our, our players were very happy to see he was nominated for the Lindsay Award. Well, Peter Forsberg, that's a pretty good comparison. Forsberg was an outstanding player. And, you know, sometimes I hesitate to say a player is like this player or exactly like another player because I think every player is is his own person, has his own unique set of abilities. But I, I think there are similarities between Dreisaitl and Forsberg in terms of that power game and the strength that they have on the puck. And it clearly has served Dreisaitl very well so far over his career in the National Hockey League. Dreisaitl did a Zoom call with Panarin and McKinnon, and uh, he was asked a little bit how his game is improving and also about the uh, comparison to Forsberg that Tippett made. I know what my limits are in terms of, um, you know, carrying the play, and, and I know that um, I'm not, probably not the best at carrying the puck through through three three zones, so... Um, you know, obviously try and stick to my game and I like, I like when, um, yeah, I can engage with people, like you said, and engage with defenders and, and hold them off that way. And then, um, yeah, maybe, maybe try and find an open guy. All right. A little bit there from, uh, from Leon Settle. So yeah, he acknowledges he likes being engaged by the defenders, helps him find the open guy. If he can draw the defenders to him. 780-496-0063. Elvis is checking in. Elvis, hope you have been well. Thank you very much for calling. Reed, I've been fantastic. And it's sure nice to, uh, to get back to uh, chit-chatting with you again and, and to have some hockey in August of all things, who would have ever thunk it, huh? Yeah. You know, uh, just a quick question for you, Reed. Uh, so the the exhibition games before they go into the preliminary round on August first. What dates are those again, Reed? Do you have them handy? Oh yeah, yeah. The Ox- sorry, the Oilers exhibition game is July twenty eighth, two weeks from today, and then there are other games on the 29th and thirtieth in both okay. Edmonton and Toronto. Perfect. So every every team's doing one exhibition game. Oh, that's it. One, hey, okay, that's awesome. Yes, just one. Edmonton and Edmonton's uh, is against Calgary. I hope I mentioned that. And yep. then, oh, sure. and so yeah, there'll be games at both Rogers Place uh, and in Toronto from the, on the twenty eighth, 29th, and thirtieth. And then the qualifying round starts August first, and the Oilers play on August first. That's fantastic. So, just another question for you, Corey Crawford. Like I know they're not mentioning much. Uh, yep. uh, and I'm not trying to ask you to have a crystal ball, but you have way more, way more in touch contact than a lot of people do out there. And I know you have your insiders and different folks. What are you thinking? Do you do you think it's an injury, or uh, do you think he'll play, or if you had to guess? I, I would think he's going to play simply because it's still two and a half weeks until the the tournament actually starts. Uh, I had John Weidman last night on from the the Blackhawks broadcast crew, and he said, "Look, I, I don't." I don't have any uh, inside information, uh, you know, that all they're saying is unfit to play. You know, look, if, if he has if, if he has COVID, he should be recovered by then. Right. And, you know, if, if I guess if he possibly has something else, then then maybe maybe he's not going to be in a play. I mean, I know some Chicago media players or media uh, reporters have speculated that this could be some sort of an injury that's going to keep Crawford out of the lineup. Uh, their head coach, Jeremy Calton, has said there's there's a competition at goalie, but that could just be day-to-day as they go along through practice. So so I, I, I'm not totally sure, and they're, they're, being, they're being pretty careful what they say with injuries. But now here's the thing. 
Caleb Jones has been unfit to practice for the Oilers, but then he's on the ice with the Black Aces after the scrimmages both days. So we know he doesn't have COVID, and we know he doesn't have an injury serious enough to keep him on the ice. That's crazy. And one final thing, I'm just going to say this, Reed. I love the fact where Drysaddle's, what, what Drysaddle's done and where he's heading. And if, if you look back in the past, and you've been talking about it, and I've been listening to you for a long time, I love the fact that uh, McDavid's going to have someone push him. And I love that the, the little co- inside competition they're going to have. It just does nothing but good things, kind of like Messier and Gretzky and all the people you've been talking about, the Pittsburgh guys and all that stuff. And Reed, keep up the good work. I'm so happy we're back, and I'm so happy we're getting back to some type of hockey and sports so all right great night my friend appreciate it elvis 780-496-0063 a little more on leon dry when we get back Lazarus put out earlier today. He covers the Chicago Blackhawks for the Athletic. Uh, Brandon Sod said this about Corey Crawford. We're not sure when he's coming back, but it's that next man in line attitude. We're going to be prepared regardless who's in net. I read you some of Crawford's stats yesterday, and the final three months of the season, uh, well, I guess final two and a half months, were much better than the first two and a half months of the season. Kelly Rudy mentioned, you know, what, a couple months ago when the current playoff format was announced that he definitely favored the Oilers but said Crawford could be the difference or someone that steals it for Chicago. Uh, you know, I, I think if it's Malcolm Subban in net or or whoever for Chicago, that's that's another tip in the balance in, in favor of the Oilers. You still got to go out there and do it. But, you know, Crawford, uh, you know, as great as Kane and Taves are and, and some of those players and they have other dangerous players, you know, I think Crawford's the one guy that, that would have the potential to outright steal the series for the Chicago Blackhawks, but definitely one of the storylines to follow. 780-496-0063. If you would like to get in touch, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Uh, Leon Dreisaitl, absolutely dynamic with Yamamoto. Here's what Leon said about his uh, relatively new line mate. Uh, yeah, I think we just complement each other really well. Um, you know, obviously, uh, we started clicking pretty early on. And, um, you know, I think that made our team a lot more dangerous um, in a way that, you know, we can balance our scoring out a little more. And, um, you know, Yamo has been has been great, came up and, and um, no fear. Um, obviously, he's, he's a smaller guy, but he doesn't doesn't necessarily play play to that size. So um he's been a lot of fun to play with and i think we've been helping each other out a lot so um yeah it's been uh it's been great playing with him yeah well we, we've said that about yamamoto several times small player who doesn't play small no fear dry side narrow uh, nailed it there now the the that line and we talked about this a lot yesterday is andreas athanasiu with dry and yamamoto nugent hopkins is now playing with Connor mcdavid and zach cassian of course it could change it two it's two weeks today until the exhibition game two and a half weeks until the game that when the games start counting against chicago but it it seems like they want to get athanasiu going you know they they traded for him they gave up a couple of picks for him 
and he's a restricted free agent. So I think he's the guy they're thinking, we want this player to be a productive Edmonton Oiler for several years. So let's give him the first shot here to grab that role in the top six. Look, we're just watching scrimmages at, at, at these practices so far. Pretty good tempo to the scrimmage, I, I, I thought, today. Dreisaitl looks great. Yamamoto looks like himself. I'm still kind of waiting to see where Athanasio fits in. And why is Yamamoto effective? To me, it's more about it, it's about more than just his skill. I mean, yes, he can finish, he can pass, he can see the ice. Clearly important. Clearly important if you're going to try to be an offensive player in the NHL. But as Dreisaitl said, he has no fear. He is so tenacious. He positions his body well. He, he knows how to get leverage against bigger guys. He knows how to sneak attack and steal a puck. He knows how to use his stick to keep pucks alive. I think if Athanasiu is really going to contribute to the Oilers, especially in a top six role, we're going to have to see those types of things from him. See some tenacity. See engagement in puck battles. Now, he, he was playing on a, on a horrific Detroit team most of the season. And, folks, we all know we saw some pretty bad teams in Edmonton over the last 12 or 13 years. Detroit was worse than any of those teams. I mean, they're, they're just horrid this year. So, you know, you don't always get the most out of players and that extra bit of jam that you're going to need in the postseason. Hopefully that can bring it out of double A. Hopefully playing on that line can bring it out of double A. Just from the limited things I saw from him in drills today and in the scrimmage, I, I think that's where he's not quite on that same level as Dreisaitl's Yamamoto. He has the speed. You know, he 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 finished a nice pass from Dreisaitl on a rush during a drill today, but he has to be completely involved and completely committed to the puck battles and the second chances because those types of things were so huge to dry settle Yamamoto and Nugent Hopkins getting to showcase their skill because they were just so good at keeping pucks alive. We'll keep up the hockey talk. Oilers and Flames have that first preseason game two weeks from today. I guess it's not preseason. It's exhibition. Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet 960 when we get back. this would kill him this is a song called impulse from a band heretic and who's requesting this one from avenger i wonder if his first name's dodge avenger all right you can text any songs you would like to hear coming back from commercial break to 780-496-0063 we prefer guitar rock with no naughty language near the beginning of the song, though Kellen does check them. 780-496-0063. That is Avenger. I picture Captain America sending that text. That sounds like something that would be on his playlist, yes. Isn't is indeed an Avenger. I don't I don't know. That might be a little heavy for for old Steve Rogers. Well, you never know. <laughs> he was born in the 20s or 30s or whatever the timing would, would work out to be. We will have a live hockey game for you. Two weeks from tonight, Oilers and Flames. It'll be an exhibition game leading into the qualifying round, the restart of the NHL season. And we have the game times for the first three games of the Oilers and the Blackhawks. Saturday, August 1st, 1 p.m. 
August 3rd and August 5th, 8.30 p.m. If games 4 and 5 are necessary, the start times will be announced at a later date. The Calgary Flames will be tuning up to play the Winnipeg Jets in the qualifying round in a good old Smythe Division matchup. To discuss that and who knows what else from the Flames Radio Network, Sportsnet 960 in Calgary, it is my good friend Pat Steinberg. Pat, how are you doing, buddy? I'm good. Can I get a request in, or is it only for listeners in the Edmonton area? Yes, you can request a song. Uh, I don't know if it counts on guitar rock, but I was hoping to hear uh, I Touch Myself by the Divinals. It's a great song. Uh, okay, noted. Thanks for that, Pat. That's really good. No, it's a good... When I used yeah, to be a DJ, that's... that always filled the dance floor. I thought it would be a good song. Yeah, that's that, that's the theme of how you've been spending the pandemic, I think. I can't uh, confirm nor deny. <laughs> you cannot confirm nor deny. I love that. I, I love that statement. That's that's a great answer. Uh, all right, let's let let's dive in. Uh, first of all, Travis Hamanick. Now here in Edmonton, we have had Mike Green uh, opt out. The uh, Dave Tippett has said he wasn't overly surprised. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the Hamanick situation. First of all, from I, I and I know we don't maybe don't know the full personal story, but from what the Flames have said publicly about it, and then the follow-up to that, it obviously is how does that affect their defense on their lineup? Well, it's funny that Dave Tippett said he wasn't overly surprised by Mike Green opting out because General Manager Brad Living of the Flames said essentially the same thing. It didn't come as a huge surprise that the Travis decided to opt out. He was the first NHL player to to exercise their right, and I think it's important to underline the word right. I. I, I know there have been some who have been critical of players who have decided not to rejoin their teams for this restart. I'm not one of them. I don't think there should be criticism. I think that we're talking about a completely uncharted world that we're living in right now, and, and I think it's it's kind of dumb to be criticizing a player for wanting to put his health or his family's health first. So that's, that's essentially what it came down to with Travis. And then, you know, I got to be perfectly honest with you, and this is not a knock on Hamannick at all, because the way Hamannick plays on the ice, this guy is a warrior. He will do anything to help his team on the ice. But if you were to ask me, hey, who's a player that you think might opt out, I would have said Hamannick would have been a strong candidate. And I say that because from the get-go, since arriving here in the summer of 2016, Hamannick was a guy that, uh, uh, summer of 2017, I guess it was, he was, he was a player that was very adamantly family first and he has missed time before because of situations with his family and this is something that he has always prioritized and I'm not saying that other players don't prioritize their family I'm just saying that that's something that Hamannick has always been very vocal about and consistent with in terms of his messaging and the big reason why he missed time last season he missed a couple of uh, games was because his young daughter had a respiratory issue that was very scary for the family at the time so knowing what is going on right now and and knowing how family oriented he was or or he is it was not a big surprise to see him opt out and and i respect his decision 100 percent. so that's that's basically the reason why that this ended up happening and and so the flames will 
go on without him. What's really interesting is how much there was to weigh. Not only was there safety protocols and being away from his family that also just had a newborn child, which I think played largely in the decision for, decision for Travis as well, but he's also a pending unrestricted free agent, which is very interesting because here's a guy that was acquired with time left on his contract and a good value contract to the Flames, but now will go into free agency without having played since February because he had missed 14 games prior to the pause with a rib cartilage injury. He sustained that injury in a game against the Canucks and hadn't played. He was set to return in Calgary's first game prior to the break or, or, or prior to the pause. Calgary's game that was supposed to be played the day that everything got shut down was against the New York Islanders, and Hamannick was supposed to return that night, but obviously wasn't able to. So I thought that was kind of an interesting side note to it all, is that when it's all said and done and we hit free agency sometime in in October, Hamannick's going to have not played since, I think, February 14th was the last time he played a game. That's, that's a significant stretch of time. So uh, from a hockey standpoint, it's a significant loss in the penalty kill. He was leading the team in penalty kill minutes, was averaging more than three minutes per game shorthanded. So that's where I think they're going to feel this the most. From a five-on-five perspective, Hamannick was probably number five, number six in terms of their most effective defenseman this year. Uh, Rasmus Anderson had really stepped up and, and turned into this team's best or, or second best right shot defenseman they use tj brody on the right side as well he's a left shot defenseman but prefers playing the right so we essentially look at him down here as a right side d so you're probably looking at a um, some sort of look of mark Giordano, tj brody on the first pair and noah hannafin rasmus anderson on the second pair and then you're probably looking at the two defensemen they went out and acquired in the trade deadline, Derek Forbort and Eric Gustafson, making up the third pair. That's likely what this is going to look like. Oliver Shillington, Michael Stone are decent options as depth defenders and, and as 7-8 guys. So uh, is it a loss? Yes. And he's a big emotional guy on the ice for him. He'll step up and fight when he needs to. And he's a big loss in the penalty kill. But knowing that this is probably the area of biggest strength for the Flames on the blue line, I don't know if this loss is as big as it would have been, say, a year or two ago. And, and, and I think they will be able to absorb the loss on the ice. All right. In net, here in Edmonton, I think it's going to be Mike Smith. Bob Stoffer is positive it's going to be Mike Smith in game one. I still think Tippett's going to say if Koskinen looks that much sharper than Smith, he, he then he has to put him in. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, for Calgary, is it automatic that it's Riddick or could former Oiler Cam Talbot possibly get the call in game one? It's funny, depending on who you ask in this market, there's a feeling that it could be either guy. Like I, I was talking to fellow Sportsnet colleague Eric Francis on the air about a week ago, and he said it's a no-brainer. It's going to be Talbot. It has to be Talbot. And I thought to myself, is it? Because I, I think right now, if I were to be a betting man, I'd lean towards it being David Riddick. And, and here's the reason why. So at the beginning of the season, the Flames had Riddick pegged as kind of their 1A. He was the guy who had the leg up. He was the guy that was probably penciled in ahead of Talbot on the depth chart. And for the first half of the season, Riddick was, I believe, this team's most valuable player and allowed this team to stay competitive, allowed the Flames to stay in the playoff mix through the first half of the season. Now, Riddick's issue in his very short NHL career over three seasons, and specifically this season and last season, 
second half of the year, things drop off a little bit. A lot of people down here point to, this seems like years ago, but remember the game the Flames won in a shootout at Rogers Place and he flipped the stick and um, a lot of people down here point to that as a, as a time when things started to go south for Riddick and uh, that seems pretty convenient for me, but the second half of the season has not been anywhere near as good as the first half and at the same time, Cam Talbot has really started to resemble the guy that put together those three really solid seasons in a row in Edmonton and, and obviously that year where he started the 73 games and they made it to the second round of the playoffs. He, he started to look like that guy. The problem is when you have a four-and-a-half, five-month break in a season, how much can you rely on or make decisions based upon momentum when there's a huge break in all that momentum. So my guess, and I think training camp will play a part in it. Right now, Riddick's in one group, Talbot's in the other. Um, but I, I think that right now, Riddick probably has the leg up to be the game one starter because I believe that they look at him as more of a future piece than they look at Talbot. And they look at him as a guy that when he's at his best, his ceiling is slightly higher than Talbot's. And I, I think that's fair. That's kind of the same way I look at it. So if I were to be a betting man, I would say Riddick starts one game one against Winnipeg with a very short leash and the option to go back to Talbot. Even if they win game one and Riddick doesn't play very well, I bet you they'd go to Talbot in game two because I think they're that confident in, in Talbot if Riddick doesn't go. So that's the way I would handicap it right now. There's still plenty of time left in training camp but if i were to be a guessing or a betting man i'd go riddick is the very slight 1a guy right now pat steinberg joining us on inside sports covers the calgary flames for sports that 960 in calgary i had a listener text me last night and and said hey reed i thought mike smith was the flames best player last year in their five game loss to the colorado avalanche and i said fair comment that's a compliment to smith and perhaps also an indication that some other Flames players maybe didn't perform to the level that was hoped in the postseason. And I remember you and I talked after they were eliminated, and, and I think, uh, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, I think you specifically might have mentioned Goudreau and Monaghan as, as not you know carrying the load in the playoffs that they, that they had in the regular season. Is that a storyline for Calgary going into this series against the Jets, that there needs to be some redemption for the Flames' top guys in a postseason situation? Yeah, I think, well, there, it's kind of strange you ask that question. So right now down here, there's kind of two storylines when it comes to that top line. Number one in the more immediate nature because right now they've got a very interesting split to their two groups. They've got 23, 24 players in one group, eight or nine players in the other group, and some regulars in the other group, including Johnny Gaudreau, Rasmus Anderson, Noah Hannafin, Milan Lucic. So they've got this this second group, and people are trying to figure out, like, why do you have a placeholder for Johnny Gaudreau with Sean Monaghan and Elias Lindholm in the first unit and, and not have Gaudreau there? And, and so there's a lot of speculation as to what all that means and if it's COVID-related and obviously the NHL and the team isn't going to say or clarify one way or the other, so it leaves everything open to speculation. So that that's been very interesting, um, but that's kind of more in the small picture. The big picture is, yes, 100%. I think regardless of whether the Flames are playing playoff hockey in August or if they were playing playoff hockey in April, had they ended up making the playoffs under regular season format, um, that would have been the biggest storyline. Less so about Lindholm, 
more focused on Gaudreau and Monaghan. They were invisible. They were dismal. They let uh, they, they let themselves down against Colorado. After such a strong regular season, career years for both, Gaudreau almost hit triple digits in the regular season. Not only did they disappear in their five-game loss to Colorado last year, they were outclassed and embarrassed by McKinnon, Ranton, and Landeskog and, and the Avalanche top forwards. And, and what made that even more obvious was that McKinnon went head-to-head with Monaghan all series long. Whenever at home, Bednar hard matched it, and on the road, he would go on the fly to try and get McKinnon's line out against the Monaghan line as much as they could. And and it showed, and that line got absolutely owned by McKinnon's group. So that is something that is a big-time storyline down here, and not just because last season, the, the three playoffs that Gaudreau has been a part of in his NHL career, for the most part, he's been very, very quiet, invisible, not much of a factor, and nowhere near the same difference maker that he is in the regular season. Monaghan, very much the same story, especially in his first playoffs and this last playoffs. And it's not just him. I mean, there's one other guy that needs to be factored into this conversation when it comes to how disappointing they were against Colorado, how dismal, or dismal made the wrong word, but more like ineffective, invisible, not really there throughout his playoff career. And that is Mark Giordano. Like, Mark Giordano won the Norris Trophy last year, deserved to win the Norris Trophy last year. He was a non-factor against Colorado. You can't have your best player go from being your best player to just being a guy and expect to win a playoff series. And that's been Giordano in the few opportunities he's played in the postseason. So that's another big guy. I'd say the three guys I have my biggest eye on in the postseason, and obviously there's a caveat with it's a bizarre restart of a season but even still Monaghan, Gaudreau, Giordano they need to be much better than they have been in prior playoffs and they need to be far more like the players they are the most important players on the team they are in the regular season. What has been the sentiment there with with players and fans regarding the the restart to the season i mean you know and, and i i know that's a tough question to answer because you and i hear from a lot of people over the course yeah. of hosting a show day after day and, and look I, I i've had a lot of people who have said i want hockey but man i hope it works and, and i don't know if we can be 100 percent. and i and i've had the odd person saying it's got to be all shut down though i do think that's the minority though though i respect that opinion I mean, I guess just the perception there and the hub is pretty close for the Flames to travel to and all that kind of stuff. But there are players coming from all over the Canada, the United States. Yeah, it's it's a weird one. And this is like, you know, you and I both take calls after every NHL game that is played in our respective cities in this province. And, and you know, sometimes somebody will call in and say, you know, I, I just don't think Connor McDavid is as good as people say. I think he's a pretty average player. And you would say, no, your opinion is wrong. Please never call again. Um, or, or somebody would say, you know what, I... I, I, I I don't really think that uh, that, that Mark Giordano uh, should be the number one defenseman on the team. I, I think he should be on the third pairing. And you say, okay, well, that's ridiculous. Sometimes opinions are wrong or you can argue the opinions. I find 
I find this one so uncomfortable to argue because I I personally believe that this is a worthy endeavor. I believe there is a safe way, a safe way forward, and a viable safe way that the NHL can restart the season and hand out a Stanley Cup. And, and I think they've done everything in their power to make sure that this plan that we're now all looking forward to, or most of us are looking forward to, is, is going to work. But... You know, for those who say that they're not comfortable with it or they don't believe that this should be happening in a worldwide pandemic or it's not a good look for the NHL, while I don't agree with that individual opinion, I can't sit here and say that that opinion isn't right or, or I can't sit here and say it's stupid because this is such a this is such a bizarre time and the way you feel about everything. You know, it, it's, it's similar to how one person feels about wearing a mask compared to another one. Is it all these things that I... I, I have my own personal opinions, and, and that's how I'll go about my business, but I can't necessarily sit here and say that that is ridiculous. How could you have that opinion? Because I think anybody who's feeling a little uncomfortable or off-put by the NBA and Major League Baseball and, and the NHL all coming back, I understand it. I don't agree with it, but I understand it, and I think there's valid reasons to it. So I've, I've, heard, the, I've, I've heard the whole gamut, whether it be on Twitter or whether it be on on our text line i've heard plenty that are just so stoked that this is going to happen that they can't believe they shut down the season to begin with there's some that believe that you know they're going to watch but they're feeling uncomfortable they don't think it's going to work and then there are those who don't think it should go forward period and and it's it's kind of i i would say most of the people who listen to our show and at our station down here fairly excited about it and just ready to get hockey back can't wait to start watching five six games a night but there's definitely some who are feeling a little less comfortable about it or a little less enthused about it because of the circumstances we're living in right now Pat, I always appreciate your perspective. That's a very appealing series for me to watch Calgary against Winnipeg for a few reasons. I think there's a lot of firepower in that series, and it's cool to see an all-Western Canadian matchup. So I'm sure we'll talk closer to the, the start of the series and while it's going on as well. Too bad you can't be up here in the bubble, buddy, but we'll keep in touch. Uh, good to talk to you. Here's to the Flames and Oilers in the Western Conference Finals, and I'll be uh, listening to uh, listening to make sure that the, the Divinals is played coming into the next segment. Thanks, Ray. Okay. Yes, Kellen, we'll, we'll play Pat's uh, touching song coming back from break. That was Pat Steinberg here on 630 Chet. Tuning in tonight, it's Inside Sports and Oilers and Eskimos Radio 630 Chet. Uh, by request, Pat Steinberg from Sportsnet 960 in Calgary. If you have a more uh, rock and roll request for a song coming back from break, please text it to 780-496-0063. Leon Dreisaitl, finalist for the Ted Lindsay Award. That is the most outstanding player in the National Hockey League is voted on by members of the Players Association, Nathan McKinnon and Artemi Panarin are the other two finalists. We uh, we have uh, some games scheduled. Two weeks from tonight, exhibition game, Oilers and Flames at 8.30. The August 1st opener against the Chicago Blackhawks is a 1 p.m. start. 
And we have every Oilers game for you right here on 630Ched. Get more on globalnews.ca, 630Ched.com. An anniversary of an amazing football record is today. You will hear from the man who set the record when we get back. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.